Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover the remnants of history every day. The day was May 2nd, 1882. Puerto Rican activist Isabel Gonzalez was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico to her parents, Severo Gonzalez and Antonia Davila. When she traveled to the U.S. in 1902, new immigration laws affected the status of Puerto Ricans, and she became a so-called alien. Isabel's subsequent challenges of U.S. immigration laws and advocacy for the rights of Puerto Ricans contributed to Puerto Ricans gaining U.S. citizenship in 1917. Her 1903 Supreme Court case, Gonzalez v. Williams, was a move toward the U.S. addressing the citizenship status of people and territories the U.S. acquired in the late 1800s. But the issue was still not settled. At the time of Isabel's birth, Puerto Rico was a Spanish colony. But under the Treaty of Paris of 1898, Puerto Rico was annexed by the United States. It became an unincorporated territory, which meant that it was controlled by the U.S. government, but it was not part of the U.S. The Foraker Act, enacted in 1900, replaced the military regime in Puerto Rico with the civilian government. It also invented a Puerto Rican citizenship for island-born Puerto Rican inhabitants and required them to renounce their allegiance to the U.S. in order to get U.S. citizenship. That contradictory requirement meant that Puerto Ricans were effectively barred from getting U.S. citizenship. On the other hand, Spanish-born Puerto Rican inhabitants were able to keep their Spanish citizenship or acquire Puerto Rican or U.S. citizenship. Racial and social prejudices largely contributed to Americans' unwillingness to give Puerto Ricans U.S. citizenship. Not much is known about Isabel's life before she left Puerto Rico. It is known that she had a child with her first husband, who died. And when she was 20 years old, she became pregnant with her second child. Juan Francisco Torres was the child's father and Isabel's fiancé. He was a native islander, but he moved to New York for work before he knew Isabel was pregnant. Isabel planned to join Torres in New York so they could marry and find a place to stay. So in 1902, Isabel boarded a steamship to leave San Juan and head to New York. But while she was on the SS Philadelphia, the U.S. Treasury Department's Immigration Commissioner, General F.P. Sargent, changed U.S. immigration policy. Puerto Ricans became classified as aliens. When Isabel arrived in New York on August 4th, she was sent to Ellis Island in New York Harbor, where an immigration station was located. There, immigration officials detained her as a, quote, alien immigrant with the intention of deporting her. At Ellis Island, policy was to detain unmarried pregnant women for further investigation and bar them from entering the mainland unless they were claimed by a family member. Since Isabel was unmarried and she was pregnant, she was deemed, quote, likely to be a public charge. The next day, Isabel's uncle, Domingo Cojazo, and her brother, Luis Gonzalez, showed up for her hearing. 
they attempted to prove that she could be financially responsible and that she was not coming to the U.S. for a moral reason. But those attempts did not work, not to mention her fiancé could not be in attendance due to work. Isabel was not allowed to leave. Cojasso issued a habeas corpus petition for Isabel. And in circuit court, the judge ruled that Isabel could not enter the mainland. Courts continued to deny her entry to the mainland U.S. So Gonzalez eventually appealed her case to the Supreme Court, arguing that all Puerto Ricans were U.S. citizens and should not be treated as aliens. Fun fact, U.S. officials misspelled Isabel's name in the case title, calling her Isabella Gonzalez, with the last letter being an S rather than a Z, versus William Williams. Anyway, Gonzalez versus Williams was argued in the Supreme Court on December 4th and 7th of 1903. While Isabel was out on bond, she got married, thus becoming a citizen through marriage. But she kept this a secret, as it would have ended her court case and allowed her to remain in New York. On January 4th, 1904, the court decided that the Treaty of Paris and the Immigration Act of 1891 prevented inhabitants of U.S. territories from being treated as aliens. But native Puerto Ricans were not U.S. citizens either. Instead, Puerto Ricans were considered non-citizen nationals, or people who are neither so-called aliens nor citizens. That meant that they did not have the same rights and benefits as full citizens of the United States. But the Supreme Court did not rule on the constitutionality of the Puerto Rican citizenship or on the naturalization of Puerto Ricans. Gonzalez versus Williams mainly addressed Puerto Ricans' ability to migrate or move between the island and mainland and throughout the mainland. Isabel proceeded to write letters to the New York Times, denouncing the results of the case and U.S. treatment of Puerto Ricans. She wrote the following in a letter to the newspaper on September 1, 1905. Puerto Rico's organic laws are clogged with different states' codes imposed on her by the American rulers who have carried to the island the system of laws corresponding to the places from which they hailed and for which they felt most inclined. Isabel's case is thought to have influenced the influx of Puerto Ricans that moved to the mainland U.S. from 1908 to 1916. And in March of 1917, the Jones-Shafroth Act was signed, extending U.S. citizenship to Puerto Ricans. A nationalist movement sprang up in Puerto Rico in the 1930s, opposing U.S. assimilation. But in 1940, people in Puerto Rico gained birthright U.S. citizenship. And by 1952, the U.S. approved a Puerto Rican constitution that made Puerto Rico an autonomous U.S. commonwealth. Isabel died on June 11, 1971. Today, the status of Puerto Rico and its inhabitants and the United States' treatment of Puerto Ricans is still hotly debated. Issues like whether Puerto Ricans should have the right to vote in presidential elections and whether Puerto Rico should become a state have become major points of contention in American national discussion. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Get more notes from history on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, 
and I hope to see you again tomorrow for more tidbits of history. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a new tidbit of history every day. The day was May 2nd, 1964. A group of Chinese climbers became the first people to reach the summit of Shishapangma, a mountain in Tibet. At more than 26,000 feet or 8,000 meters, Shishapangma is the 14th highest mountain in the world. Shishapangma is thought to mean range above the grassy plain. The mountain is a part of the Himalayas and it's located in southern Tibet near the border of Nepal. Shishapangma was the last of the 8,000ers, or mountains more than 8,000 meters in height above sea level, to be climbed. In June of 1930, Annapurna I became the first 8,000-meter peak to be climbed. And in 1960, a team of climbers summited Dolaguri I. That made it the 13th 8,000-er to be summited, making Shishapangma the only one that had not yet seen a successful ascent. Since Tibet and China imposed restrictions on travel to the region, few Western climbers had been near Shishapangma. People were sent to scout the mountain before the expedition began. The chosen climbers began training. Orders were put in for clothing, equipment, and food. And early in 1964, an expedition of 195 people was put together. The team included experienced mountaineers who climbed Mount Everest, as well as less experienced climbers. It also included scientists, journalists, photographers, and medical workers, among others. On March 18th, the expedition set up base camp north of the peak, at around 5,000 meters above sea level. By April 21st, the final assault camp was pitched just below the summit. There were 13 people in the summit party, including expedition leader Xu Jing, deputy leader of the assault party Chang Chunyin, and Wang Fuzhou, who took part in the first ascent of Mount Everest via the North Face. But only 10 people took part in the final assault, since three people were dealing with altitude sickness. On the morning of May 2nd, they reached the summit. Not long after they made it to the top, they began their descent back to the final assault camp. Over the next several decades, more people attempted to summit the mountain. The next ascent of Shishapangma did not happen until 1980, when the mountain was open to foreign teams. The first winter ascent of the peak took place in 2005. Otherwise, hundreds of people have made it to the main summit of Shishapangma. As of 2018, 31 people have died on Shishapangma. Some of those deaths were caused by avalanches, falls, altitude sickness, and fluid accumulation in the lungs caused by ascending to high altitudes rapidly. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to send us any kind words, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're at TDIHC Podcast. You can also send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.